Hello, and welcome to Field Notes, the weekly podcast of the Military Fellowship Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina, serving Marines stationed at Cap Lejeune and surrounding areas. Military Fellowship Center is a ministry of Military Evangelism Incorporated. Our speaker and host for the program is Dave Mason, the General Director of Military Evangelism and the Field Director at Jacksonville. Visit us on the web at militaryfellowshipministry.com or email us at militaryfellowshipctr at gmail.com. Now, here's Dave Mason. Welcome back to Field Notes. I appreciate everyone's patience with me during the hiatus. We start Season 3 of Field Notes now. This is our third year doing this podcast, and we are going to start a brand new series called Trusting God. It's going to take us about six episodes to get through this series, and I hope it's a blessing to you. We're going to be talking about Paul, the apostle, his shipwreck, and his uh, uh, swimming to shore, and all the things that he went through, starting in Acts chapter 27. And then we're going to jump around to different uh, parts of the Bible and look at this subject of trusting God. It would seem to me, at least, as a man who's been in the ministry now for over 20 years, that there's precious little of the church trusting God today. And I just don't understand it. Why do we who have the promise of eternal life, we who are freely given by our very creator of the universe, all good things, why do we cringe in fear? Why do we fret? Why do we worry? Why do we refuse to look at our rock and fortress when times of trouble come to us? Well, over these next six weeks, I hope to take you on a journey with Paul from the prison hold of a ship through the stormy blast of a hurricane to the shore of a distant land, shipwrecked, cold, starving. But through all of this, Paul trusted God. He had an unwavering commitment not only to the person of God, but also to the providence of God. Paul was sure of one thing, that no matter what befell him, it was part of God's plan for his life. And as such, he could rejoice that he was being used by the very God of the universe to accomplish his divine will. And so as we look at Acts chapter 7, I want to remind you of how Paul got into this situation. After finishing what ended up being his last missionary journey on purpose, Paul returns to Jerusalem against everybody's advice. Everybody told Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. You're going to get arrested. And he goes to Jerusalem anyway. Guess what? He gets arrested. He's taken into Caesarea, he's brought before both Felix and King Agrippa, and he's then remanded to the custody of a centurion named Julius for transport to Rome to go before the Emperor Nero for trial. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 27, verse 1. It says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adorantium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, artists. Tarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go with his friends and receive care. Then we had put the sea from there, and we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over to sea, which is off Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board that. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off the coast of Snidus, the wind was not permitting us to proceed, and so we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salome. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havings, near the city of Lacia. 
Now, when the time was had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. He said, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and a much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things that were spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, in the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest, and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose, called Euclidean, and when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the uh, sands, they struck sail and were so driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat upon us all, all hope was lost that we should be saved, and we were finally given up. But after a long absence from food, Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the, of the God whom I belong to and whom I serve. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all, those th- all of those lives that sail with you. Therefore, take heart, man, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. Wow, what a story. What, a, what an adventure that Paul was on. And it's not over yet. So we know, obviously, everybody that's on this ship is distraught, they're depressed, they're despairing. Their plans to make money through this voyage have literally gone overboard. They've thrown everything, all of their merchandise overboard. They've thrown the ship's tackle overboard. If only they had listened to Paul back in the port when he said, don't sail. It says here that they felt felt that all hope was lost. There was no chance they would be saved from the storm. Let me talk to you about a stormy life for a little bit. In verse 20, it says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat upon us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. These men had been through days of storm. The ship rocking back and forth, the salt water splashing against them all day long. And they, they just finally came to the point where they said, this is it, we're done. We will not survive this storm. And you know, we all have stormy times in our lives. Each day, new opportunities arise. Each and every day, uh, we, we are, we're brought with a choice. We're, we have a choice before us. We can either trust God or doubt Him. And here Paul finds himself in a seemingly desperate situation. I mean, the man's in prison. He's on a ship in the middle of a hurricane. Everyone around him's given up hope. And we would not blame him if he felt like Job at this point. You know, in Job 5, 6, Job says, Although affliction comes not forth from the dust, neither does trouble spring out of the ground, yet a man is born unto trouble like the sparks flying upward. (laughs) None of us that are born on this earth can say, We'll have a trouble-free life. And none of us that are born again 
can honestly say that the Christian life is free of genuine heartache and pain. On the contrary, when we align ourselves with Christ, that's the single greatest act we can engage in that will bring the hordes of hell to torment and dismay us on a daily basis sometimes. Listen, it's how we react to the storms. The storms are coming. You're not going to get away from this. You're not going to have a trouble-free life. But it's how you react to the storm. That's what's important. So let's talk about reacting rightly to a stormy life. Verse 21, But after a long absence of food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. I want you to ask yourself a very important question right now. I want you to ask yourself this question right now as you're listening to me. What kind of Christian do I want to be? Do you want to be a Christian of great strength, with a steadfastness and a sureness that carries you through life's storms? Or are you satisfied to live a soft, slacking, stale Christian life? I mean, just look at how Paul reacts to the situation around him. Many of us would be, if we were honest, we would say in that same situation, I wouldn't exhibit the same kind of trust that Paul is exhibiting. Before he even spoke, we have an indication about his faith in God, and his trust in God was very, very strong. The text says, after a long abstinence, this means literally after a long fast of time, Paul kept quiet this whole time. He just sat. He, 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 didn't, he didn't wail. He didn't cry like the rest. He stayed calm. While everyone else is running scared, Paul stayed calm. As the captain, the first mate, the crew scrambled, screamed, and cried out for mercy, Paul kept his composure. He did this because he trusted God. I mean, he was helping. First 19 shows us that he and Luke helped throw the ship's tackling overboard, but he stayed calm. He didn't just sit there and watch all this happen. He helped, but he stayed calm through the whole thing. Is that us? Are we calm in the face of sure disaster? Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And verse 21 says that Paul stood forth. That's the Greek word histemi. It means to stand immovable, to be firm, to be sound, to be unharmed, ready and prepared. It indicates someone who does not hesitate or waver. In the midst of these quivering, fear-filled sailors on this ship that's rocking back and forth in, the, in the, this terrible storm, salt water spraying everywhere, waves lapping over the, over the ship's bow, Paul is not afraid. He stands up like the rock of Gibraltar and pronounces his faith in God. He tells the men, I told you so. <laughs> and it wasn't in a self-satisfying way. He, he, he's just being a natural leader. He's stepping up when the time has come. He's saying, you should have listened to me. I told you this was going to happen. I told you to stop and not to go forward. But you did. You see, the storm didn't bother Paul. He knew it was going to happen. But the reason it didn't bother him is because he knew the promises of scriptures. Psalm 94, verse 3, The Lord is on high. He is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the waters of mighty waves of the sea. Psalm 89, 9, O Lord, O God of hosts, who is strong, Lord, like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. And so Paul 
though he's living a stormy time in his life, he reacts right. And he shows actual joy in the midst of his storms. Look at verse 22. And now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Be of good cheer. Be happy. That's basically what Paul's saying. You know, take heart. You're not going to lose anybody. You're not going to lose your life. You can actually have some joy in the middle of this because I know you're going to still live. I mean, hurricane force winds are blowing, salt spray, crashing waves blowing across the bow of the ship. Men on board are shivering, wet, hungry, resigned to their own death. Be of good cheer. Paul says, how can he say this? Well, he could say this because his happiness was not dependent on his surroundings or his situation. Paul kept a proper perspective like we ought to also do. Oftentimes, our happiness is conditional upon our circumstances or our property, but it should be conditional only on whether or not we're alive in Christ. Trusting God is a foundational uh, part of a positive outlook and a happy attitude. And Paul had good reason to be happy and be cheerful. In verse 23, he says, I I had somebody stand by me tonight. He describes a special visit from an angel of God who came to comfort him. Now, I know that's not the normal experience for most of us. But just because we do not receive a visit from an angel does not mean we have reason to be discouraged. For in times of great trial, the Lord does give more grace. And if we are constantly in His Word, we have a more sure word, Second Peter 1.19 says, that can comfort us like no angel could. But I want you to note Paul's next words. This angel stood beside me. He was an angel of God, whose I am and of whom I serve. There are two concepts in that phrase that are very important to anyone who wants to trust God. Whose I am means allegiance. I belong to this God. And whom I serve means love. I don't just belong to Him. I love Him. Paul had an allegiance to God. He knew that he belonged to God. And he knew that God had committed himself to Paul. Remember, it was Paul who quoted Deuteronomy 31.6 when he wrote to the Hebrews, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I want to ask you, how is your commitment, your allegiance to God today? Have you lost trust in God because you've lost a sense of allegiance? Of being his very property. This whose I am also hearkens to the Christian doctrine of our being bond slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his property, folks. He takes care of his own. Years ago, United States soldiers who were in basic training were told that they were the property of the United States government. That's a little too PC for us today, right? But that conditioning, that mentality, that sense of belonging, that made the men of World War II, Korea, Vietnam, courageous, bold, and daring. We could fuse a few more Christians who are courageous, bold, and daring today, couldn't we? Paul had a love for God, and he served God. Why? Because he trusted God always had his best interests at heart. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean comfort, but best. The best is not always enjoyable, folks. You see, Paul and God were, and still are, lovers, They had an enduring love for one another. And lovers always do on the behalf of the other. Lovers serve each other. Put the other in the relationship first. Service is one of the most important and least practiced concepts in our culture today. Without service, there is no love. 
I, we don't see that being what we see is is being touted as love today is really selfishness. I'll get what I want out of this relationship. But you don't get into a relationship to get something out of it. You get into a relationship to give into it. And as you give into the relationship, the other person or persons in the relationship give back into the relationship. And that's how it is with God. If you're not serving Him, if you're not giving into the relationship, don't expect anything back. Paul says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Hey, you know, trust and fear are two sides of the same coin. In the coming weeks, I'm going to relate to you some stories of how I've personally overcome fear and learned to trust God. But know this, that God certainly wants to calm your fears. But He can't calm your fears if you don't trust Him and have faith in His power and ability and basically His trustworthiness. I mean, a a man's word is only as good as a man himself. If a man's not trustworthy, you can't trust his word no matter how sincere he is. But tell me, who's more powerful than God? Who's more holy? Who's more honest, caring, loving, gentle? Yet we tend to trust the word of men more than the word of God. Paul trusted the word of God, do we? Even when it's not pleasant. Can we rejoice in his word even when it's not pleasurable? Paul understood that trusting God was far more powerful than any power he had in himself. And that through trusting God, he had the privilege of experiencing life through the eyes of Jesus. I mean, what was Paul's prayer? Let's look at Paul's prayer. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, that's wonderful. But listen to the next part. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You know, a lot of folks, they, they, they come to Christ and they think, oh, I'm, all my suffering is going to end. No. To be a Christian means to be Christ-like. If you're going to be Christ-like, you're going to have to suffer like Christ did. It's just a fact. And so, it's not a matter of just understanding you have a stormy life. Not a matter of just reacting rightly. Not a matter of having joy in the midst of the storms. It's a, it's, it, it comes down to this one basic tenet. Do you believe God? Look at verse 34, uh, 25 with me. Therefore, take heart, men, for I, Paul says, I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. That's the foundational verse of this whole series. My wife ran across that verse in her devotions one time, and she made me read it to her over and over again. You see, we're going through some difficulties in our lives right now, right? I mean, it's a tough time in your life. But guess what? It's always a tough time. You can't find a time in your life when there there wasn't some part of your life that was a little bit tough. You're struggling with your health at this point, or you're struggling with your finances at this point. You're struggling with a family member over here. You're struggling with your job over there. There's always a struggle. Embrace it. Understand it. Accept the challenge. And be of good cheer. Just believe God. He's he's in charge. God's in charge. And we're supposed to put ourselves in his hands and allow him to work out his plan for us. So Paul says, be a good cheer. Do you know what the greatest byproduct of not trusting God is? Depression. Never, though, has a man who fully trusted God fallen full scale into depression. Sadness, pain, heartache, those are natural. They're always with us. But depression says to God, I don't believe you can. But Paul says, for I believe God. The word believe here is the Greek word, it means to commit oneself, to trust. 
to be persuaded, confident, to entrust a thing to someone else. I believe God. I am trusting God. That should be our battle cry. That should be the central thought of the prayer life of every Christian today as we move closer to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our minds and hearts should be focused on trusting God, on believing God. For that's the secret. Trusting God is faith in action. Saying out loud what you've hidden in your heart. Going out on a limb, my friend. I have a friend who like to say all the time, faith is simply taking a risk for the glory of God. But far too many of us are unwilling even to take the risk of being embarrassed. And that's why so little of our prayer life comes to pass. We believe, but not enough to say it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Paul boldly said what he believed. But what if they'd lost a man? Well, they wouldn't. God had promised otherwise. Listen, my friend, the moment we answer a prayer request with, but what if, we show that we do not believe or trust God. Faith in God does not believe He can. It believes He will. Believing He will is the key to having a restful, calm, and worry-free life in the midst of great troubles. And troubles will come. I think many of us would rather want to know how to have a trouble-free life than how to learn to trust in God. But troubles are going to come. Never ask God to keep you from troubles. Ask Him to keep you through the troubles. Never ask for a life of leisure. Scripture plainly tells us that God hates leisure. He hates a sluggard. Proverbs 10.26 is vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to him that sent them. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing but the soul of the diligent will be made fat. He says, it will be even as it was told me. Paul didn't doubt God. Why do we? Honestly, I think it's because we're selfish. We want victory without pain, but there's no such thing. Who's more respected? The man who inherits a billion dollars and lives at the country club? Or the man who worked hard, created something that no one knew they needed, and built his empire on hard work and continues to work hard? That's the man who's respected. It's really not that we don't believe God. It's that we don't want to believe sometimes. See, God's promises are not always pleasant. Yes, Paul would live, but only after being shipwrecked. Hey, what a promise, huh? You'll live through this. And you'll make it to Rome, Paul, and then you're going to be beheaded. What comfort. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also Him, and He'll bring it to pass. You see, folks, trusting God doesn't always mean that good will come, but rather that His will will be accomplished. Trusting God means having a foundation, a bedrock, a peace of mind that comes only to those who place their very lives in God's hand. Over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the following areas of trusting God. Trusting God in our physical life, uh, for our provision, trusting God for our spiritual life, and trusting God for our financial life. And I pray that our time together will help you to trust God more and more each and every day. Thanks for listening, and thank you for coming back and being a part of this podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you. You keep praying for us here down in North Carolina. God is opening up windows of blessing. We are seeing more and more Marines come out to the center every week and Navy corpsmen. And we're just, we're busting at the seams, folks. And I'll tell you more about that in the weeks to come. Uh, We've got some special projects coming up and I'll let you know all about that as well. But for now, thank you so much for joining us this week on Field Notes. Until next time, I'm Dave Mason. 
Thank you for joining us for Field Notes. If you have been blessed by the preaching and teaching you have heard, consider visiting our website at militaryfellowshipministry.com and click the Donate button. Any amount will be a great help to us as we continue to reach our men and women in the military with the gospel. Join us next week as we continue our study of God's Word. God bless you.